Thank you for that choir, and thank you, McCaden, for tackling what was a difficult passage to read. Thank you for doing that. So, I have never killed anybody with my preaching. I don't think. I mean, I'm pretty sure I've never killed anyone, but, but I'm quite positive that I have never dropped somebody out of a third floor window like Brother Paul did in this morning's Acts text. I have, however, had people fall asleep on me. Multiple people. Lots of people. Some of you. I have listened as deacons snored through my sermons. I have watched as heads bowed in prayer failed to rise after the amen. Bodies beginning to tilt forward until they suddenly jerk awake and look around to see if anybody happened to notice. I've gone back and I've watched worship service recordings only to see choir members, not these of course, but choir members, other choir members, arms crossed, chins on chests, in what I'm sure was simply deep existential contemplation. But I've never killed anyone. I did have one kid one time fall asleep sitting up and then startle so much when he woke that he kicked the pew in front of him with both feet. It sounded like a shotgun going off. And I had another little kid I heard tell his mom after my sermon, well, thank God that's over. <laughs> He's probably the closest I've ever come to killing. But my body count is still officially at zero. Not that I blame Paul for what happened in this story. Even in the best of circumstances, preaching is hard. There's so much to say. There's so little time to say it. Paul, in this story, preaches until midnight. Then he watches Eutychus drop off to sleep, watches as he drops out of the window and into the street below. Paul then goes down, picks him up, dusts him off, sends him on his way, and then, realizing that he still has not said everything that needs saying, he keeps on preaching until the dawn. I mean, the rest of us have been told that we're not supposed to go past noon. Believing, as my father-in-law likes to say, that the mind can only absorb what the rear end can endure. So yes, preaching is hard. And that is even before you take into account the complexity of the church itself. I mean, Eutychus gets the headline in this story. But if you look at the section of Acts that McCaden read, Paul is on tour. Philippi, Troas, Assos, Chios, ultimately, he says, Jerusalem. 
different places, with different people, with different needs and wants and fears and frustrations. Even here, just with y'all at HAB, the variety can make preaching complicated. You know that this family is having financial troubles, and so you wince as you prepare a sermon on stewardship. You've gotten word that that couple might have their marriage on the rocks. And so then you ask yourself, how do you bring up difficult topics like fidelity or forgiveness? So many people and so many families with so many facets and complexities. Sacred cows that have to be protected no matter what. Taboos that you are not supposed to touch. If I talk about some aspect of the good news at the depth and nuance that I think it deserves, will it bore people? If I want to use an anecdote from a movie or maybe a TV show in order to connect with folks, how do I find one that is familiar to enough people in order to land? Preaching's hard. And yet preach we must. Because as we see here in this text, when Paul goes down to street level and rouses young Eutychus, Preaching has the power to raise the dead. In just a moment, we will be blessed enough to watch the birth of a new Christian as Logan Cook is baptized. Too often, Christians like us can treat baptism like it's the the end of a journey. You've come to understand who this man, Jesus Christ, was and is. So you've made your decision. You've walked the aisle. You've committed yourself to the Lord. And your baptism is the end point of that process. But it isn't. It's not the end point, my friends. It's the starting point. Logan, once he is baptized, will begin his journey as a disciple, and now there is going to be so much more that he is going to need to know, to understand, to learn, so that when when life gets difficult, he will be able to hold on to it and know that he is never, ever alone. To learn so that when life gets good and things are rocking and rolling for him, he will be able to maintain perspective and recognize that he has been blessed in order to be a blessing to the people who are around him. So much to learn so that it might guide his life as a disciple. So much to learn so that he will be well equipped to share the good news of Jesus Christ with all those around him. 
so much that he's going to need to be told and retold and reminded of down through the years, just like all of the rest of us, so that you can begin to understand why Paul might have felt like he needed to preach into the small hours of the night. There's always something else to say. Something to add, some connection to make, a nuance, a a detail, a promise, a doctrine. Another extra layer to one of Jesus' parables. Another tie between two passages of Scripture. And yet, having read the story, you and I well know that that's the point when young Eutychus goes tail over tea kettle and falls out the window. Eutychus, patron saint of people everywhere who have found themselves forced to listen to an overly long sermon. Minds wander, eyelids grow heavy. And just be thankful that you're in a pew here at HAB and not perched high up on a windowsill on the third floor of a building. And yet that's what we do here. That's what we do when we gather in this place on this day. That is why we call ourselves a congregation. Right in the middle of the word, you can hear the echo of another word, gregarious, a congregation is gregarious. We come together and we talk and we listen, we discuss and we discern, we remind one another of the love that God has for us and the the grace that God has promised us and when needed. When needed, we pick one another up off the ground. Dust one another off. And we send each other back out into the world with a pat on the back and the promise of God's blessing. Always with the promise of God's blessing. In a little while, Logan Cook will be added to this congregation. He will join his life to ours, join our ongoing conversation. He will get to be gregarious with all the rest of us. In a little while, Britt will place him under the water. And Chelsea will say a prayer over the water asking that the Spirit of God might move upon it and use it as a blessing in this act. But more than that, above and beyond that, she will also ask that the Spirit of God bind itself to Logan. That as Logan comes up out of the water and goes forward into his new life of discipleship, 
God's Spirit will go with him, that it will guide him, that it will goad him when needed, that it will encourage him and admonish him and all the rest, that it will help him to always know how much God loves him and how much God loves all of his neighbors, and how much God really and truly wants all of us to truly and finally love one another. That's what Chelsea is going to ask for as she prays over the waters. And that's what you and I should be praying for as we pray for Logan and as we pray for one another and ultimately as we pray for ourselves each and every day of our lives. Because ultimately, it's not really about what I as a preacher might say to y'all. And it's not really about what we as a congregation might say to one another or even what we might reassure our own selves of. Really and truly, my brothers and sisters, what it is actually about is what God says to us. What God has always said to us. And what is it? What is the first and the last thing that God tells us? It's actually simple. It doesn't require a sermon that goes on to midnight. It doesn't require a sermon that goes on to dawn. It doesn't even require a sermon that goes to noon, although you are not allowed to hold me to that. No. God looks at us and God says, Child, you are mine. You are mine and you are my beloved. And I will never, ever let you go. Amen.